Let's take a moment and pray. Father, uh, please open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that we might receive the incorruptible Word of God. For our Savior Jesus has set His love upon us, and it is His love that compels us, compels us to Him. And we are forever grateful. Open our hearts. In Christ's name, Amen. I'll be reading the same passage we read last week from John, but I'm going to suggest this morning that you not read along. Just listen and let your imagination carry you back to this very unusual scene of Jesus meeting with this Samaritan woman at a well in the middle of the day at noon, something that would have been very unusual uh, at that time in, in history. Let your mind imagine this scene. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came and to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. The woman said to Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor have come to here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. 
God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will teach us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back and they marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This is the word of the Lord. You know, the disciples returned back from seeing, uh, from wherever they went to go. They didn't go into Samaria, apparently. They went somewhere else, or to this village of Sychar, to get their food and drink. Uh, But when they came back, they see Jesus at this well, talking with a woman. Not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman who was outside the, uh, the tribe, so to speak, of acceptable people. And they were astonished. They were marveling. They were amazed. But no one said anything to him, even though they were amazed. And I told you last week that Matthew Henry says this, and I think he captures uh, secretly the heart of every human being uh, when he says this. They marveled, the disciples. They were astonished that he should condescend or lower himself to talk with such a poor, contemptible woman. But it never occurred to them to marvel or be astonished that He would talk to them. Forgetting what despicable men they themselves were. You see, every one of us, I think we all secretly have a very high opinion uh, of ourselves. I do. I readily admit that I'm better than all of you. And... uh, no, it's, it, it's actually somewhat shameful. And when it, if we were to confess that, if we were to say, you know, I, I really do believe I'm better, uh, other people would say, oh, you know, how prideful is that? Or how, you know, how, how does he get away with that? Or she get away with that? But somewhere in the heart of every one of us, we tend to look out around us the landscape of human beings and we start ranking people. You know, well, that one, ooh, they're really something. And Well, this one, he's not too bad. This one's on my level. And those people over there, well, they're a little bit lower. And we put people on a scale of being depending on their worth. And a lot of times we judge them uh, based on their morality. You know, how, how good a person are they? Are they a good person? Are they clean living? And those are the people we generally want to see coming to our church. We're looking at the back door and we see people coming in and if they're clean living and they've got their clothes and they're clean shaven and you know, and perhaps they've got a wad of cash hanging out of their pocket. We we love that. We see that, we go, Oh my good, those are the people we want. But if somebody comes in the back door and they have a bone in their nose, all the red flags start going up. Yes? Go, oh my goodness, what are they here? What are they doing here? We don't see the bone in our own nose. Because most of us, we make it invisible. We cover it up. And we cover up so many things. And so the, the disciples are marveling that He's talking to a woman, but it never crosses their mind. These wonderful apostles who have become the foundation of the church of Jesus never occurred to them that He would condescend to talk to them. 
And so in the heart of every one of us is that tendency to see ourselves better than others. And yet, as I told you last week, each one of us, every one of you, including the little children, the babies even, like my little, what is he, my nephew? Not really. He's my cousin. Third, fourth, fifth, somewhere. My little cousin Zachary here is just a few months old. Every one of us is here because somebody brought us to a well and Jesus met us at that well. You see, nobody comes into the kingdom alone. You, you get here because somebody brings you. And even if He finds you out in the middle of nowhere, nobody brought you, He's there to meet you. And He's the one that brings us to God the Father. So, part of our mission, when we prepare to move in the next few weeks, God willing, we get to move. Part of our mission is going to be reaching out and bringing people to that well, folks. The well of living water. And so we're talking last week and this week, I'm going to finish today, on evangelism. And when I say the word evangelism, I don't know what goes through your mind. I know what goes through my... The minute I think of evangelism, I think of Billy Graham. I think of crusades. I think of a handful of tracts. So when Madi V and I uh, sold our business back in 1995, we decided we wanted to go on staff with Campus Crusade, which... Uh, Looking back was probably not the right fit for me, but nevertheless, we went to training in Orlando, Florida to learn how to be, you know, staff people with Krampus Crusade. And part of our training, they handed us a stack of the four spiritual laws, and we had to go to the Orlando airport, and we had to go to downtown Disney. Now, downtown Disney was kind of fun. The Orlando airport was awful. Uh, but because if we went to downtown Disney, we could really not do what we were supposed to do and just hang out and have fun in downtown Disney. But the airport, you're just kind of there, you look suspicious, right? And you have a handful of tracks, and we had to go in cold call, or what we call confrontational monologue, you know, put the, 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 the tract in their hand and try to talk them into the kingdom of God. And I hated it. I was so terrible at it. And the, the reality was, is all the people in our training were all bad at it. Nobody was good at it. Now, Dr. Bill Bright, he was good at it. But none of the people that followed Dr. Bill Bright were good at it. It was very hard. It's hard to cold call. Uh, it's hard to, uh, to do confrontational monologue. But that's what came to mind when I thought of evangelism. Or it's door-to-door. -door. Some of you maybe have gotten... I got trained in evangelism explosion later on. And, uh, you know, you'd go to the door, you'd knock on the door, somebody would come to the door... And you'd say, uh, if you were to die tonight, uh, what a great way to meet somebody, right? If you are to die tonight, <laughs> and you went to heaven, into heaven, why should God let you into His heaven? And you know, you'd get all kinds of answers, you know, well, I'm a good person, I follow the Ten Commandments, I haven't killed my wife yet, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so, but it's confrontational monologue. That's what we generally think of with evangelism. Now, in the past couple decades, uh, Evangelism has changed. You don't see the big crusades anymore. You don't see a lot. Evangelism explosion is being completely revamped. They're trying to redesign it. Because confrontational monologue is not the best way to reach a post-Christian and a post-modern uh, world. And uh, so when I, when, I, when I say evangelism, that we're going to have to be evangelistic in our, our endeavor at our new building as we've been in the past, I'm... I'm not saying that we need to go out there and start knocking on doors, although we may do some of that. 
But we do need to be prepared to share our faith and bring people to the well, that well of water, that living water. And so, uh, to finish up uh, this week, we talked last week about the risk uh, that it takes. And uh, today we're going to talk about relationship and revelation. You see, I think it, at the very bottom of evangelism or sharing your faith are those at least those three elements. There's probably more, but there's at least those three. An element of risk the need to build a relationship, and finally, to be able to, to share with them the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Risk, relationship, and revelation. This is what we call um, taking people from... Uh, the, in the Journey Discipleship Program, we, we talk to our guys and our gals that go through this, about taking people from non-faith to faith. So there are some folks out there that they have no faith, or perhaps they have a a loosely held faith of some kind in some sort of religion or God or what have you. And what we want to do is meet them, make a relationship with them, and move them from non-faith to faith in Jesus Christ. This is just a simple definition of evangelism. The second part of that is taking someone who believes, like all of us, presumably those of us in this room, and, and taking us from faith to maturity, to being equipped, to being able to share our lives and faith with other people. That's what we would call discipleship. And we'll look at that next Sunday. And then finally, the idea of sending sending people, which is the idea of missions. And I'm going to give you a whole different view of missions perhaps than you've seen before. But non-faith to faith, faith to maturity, and maturity and equipped, mature and equipped believers being prepared to then go into wherever you live, listen, live, work, and play. Wherever your life takes you, you are taking the kingdom of God with you. See, we're, we're going to move into this building hopefully July 3rd. It's on 1500 Wrestler. It's a beautiful building. It's going to be beautiful inside when you see it. It's going to knock your eyes out. But that's not the kingdom of God, is it? The kingdom of God is not in that geographical location unless and until we go there. Because the kingdom of God is in us. So if we go to this building, the kingdom of God is in the building. And when we leave the building and go to wherever we live, work, and play, the kingdom of God moves with us. And wherever God takes you in your life, whether it's to uh, a deployment overseas with the military or perhaps you go and move to another part of the country, hopefully you don't. We want people to move to El Paso and stay here. But if you move to another part of the country, the kingdom of God moves with you wherever you go. Jesus promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you to the ends of the earth. So wherever we go, He goes with us. And evangelism requires risk. Uh, Let me give you these real quickly. This is from last week. Risk involves the element of, or the possibility of, if you want to put it this way, of being rebuffed or rejected. And um, I I don't know anybody that doesn't feel that sense. Some, Some have a very high sense 
of rejection and disapproval, and so it just paralyzes them with fear. Oh my gosh, what if they don't like what I say? What if they don't like me? What if I can't talk them into it? Uh, you know, what happens uh, if, they, if they ask me a question I don't know, the answer to it? There's all kinds of fear associated with being rejected uh, or rebuffed. Some people have a very low tolerance. They don't care what anybody thinks, and they just, you know, they just share the, their faith. But we also have uh, a fear, I think, of being criticized. Risk involves criticism. You see, Jesus took a chance, if you will, with this woman. He stepped out of every sense of Jewish piety that was known to them at that time. He broke every single rule in speaking with this woman. Now, we don't think anything about it. I can talk to a lady here in church or, or whatever, and you could meet somebody and have a conversation. If you had a, a business, so you had women and men working in an office, you can talk. Nobody's going to even question you. But in that world, there was no such thing. And here he is at a well in the middle of the day, talking to this woman. Nobody's around, just him and her. And they're talking. And there's a risk involved of criticism from others. Like the disciples coming along and saying, you know, what is he doing? Now, they, they had such respect for Jesus, they didn't question him. But it can happen. Jesus exposed himself speaking to this woman. Not just a woman, a Samaritan woman who was like an, of another race almost. And a sketchy Samaritan. This is a woman that was, uh, would have been labeled a sinner unclean, if you will. She'd been married five times and now she's living with the sixth person. And so, this is what we call non-faith to faith. Jesus is reaching into this woman's life who's on the margins of society and He's drawing, drawing her in. And this requires the second part and I'm going to spend some time now with the relationship part and the revelation part. Evangelism, folks, is going to require relationship. You're going to have to actually get to know people, especially in post-Christian America, post-modern America. The the uh, the days of where people just say, "Well, you know, I know the Bible says that. Tell me more." Now you have to do pre-evangelism. It's not just what is the Bible. What is the Bible? And why should I believe the Bible? The Bible is just another book. You actually have to do some work before you can even begin talking uh, to somebody about Jesus Christ. But that's why this story is so timeless. Look at what he does. He, he, he does exactly that. We think that we're living in an unusual age, but Jesus was living in the same type of environment. It's really quite unique. There's a two-way exchange. He asks her for a drink of water. He asks her to meet a physical need that he has. He's thirsty. And in exchange for that, he offers her something that's literally fascinating and sublime. The, the genius of Jesus and his questions and his answers, uh, it, it, just, just remarkable. There's this interchange. He needed physical water to quench his thirst. She needed spiritual water to quench her thirst. You know, you're surrounded by people, even in this room, folks, who are dying of thirst. They need to know Jesus Christ. They need to, we presume that just because you're here at church, you've got it all. 
but I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm a professional, holy person. And I get thirsty. I get parched. And I need to be uh, drenched in that living water. There are times when I don't know if I'm going to make it one more day from the spiritual thirst. And so we have to assume, as we're sitting here in comfort, air-conditioned, very nice, everything's sweet, nobody's going to knock the door in and shoot us with machine guns, we're safe here. But inside, there can be a thirst that only He can quench. So let me give you quickly the relationship, how to build a relationship. Uh, We know this sometimes intuitively, but this will help, I think, I hope. I'm going to give you five principles for building a relationship based on what Jesus did in this particular case where He met somebody, uh, a non-faith. He's going to try to bring them into the faith. Uh, somebody He did not know. At least He didn't know her in a human sense of the term where He you know, had seen her around town or was part of His community. He didn't really know her. Uh, these five principles will help. First of all, He went into the world. I think we forget that Jesus, the trajectory, I keep telling you this, folks, for years, the trajectory of the Gospel is from heaven to earth. He left the throne room of glory to come and be born in a manger. That's what Christmas is all about. He came down and became a human being. And there was dirt under His fingernails. He was a worker. He was a technon. The the Greek word... we translate it carpenter, but, but it probably should be better translated a day laborer. Jesus was just a man who stood out in the corner waiting for work. For somebody to come by in a pickup truck and pick him up and take him to go dig a ditch or lay a rock wall or build a table or nail shingles on a house or whatever they did. He was a worker, a technon. And He came into this world. He did not cloister Himself. You know, there was a community of people in that day and age that did cloister themselves, much like the communities we see in Christian circles today who cloister themselves into tight communities and they on Sunday morning, they're like clams, you know? Maybe some of you are like that. I hope not. But they're like clams in a shell. They hide out all week long in their little cloister. And then Sunday morning, the alarm comes off and the shell opens and they peek outside and they look around. Is it safe? Is it safe? Oh yeah, it looks pretty clear. Nobody's out on the streets today. And then they run to church real quick and get in the cloister, the warmth. And well, we're in church. Everybody's Christians. Everybody, we love everybody. And, 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 and then they, they go out to the door and they get to kind of peek out there. Is it safe? And then they rush home back to the cloister. It's what we call the cloister complex. And there was a whole community of these people, the Essenes. They had given up on culture, given up on society, given up on politics, given up on work, uh, traditional work of having a job and a career and a family and all those things. And they had gone into the, into the wilderness, so to speak, and they lived in little cloisters, little communities. Jesus does the opposite. He leaves heaven, comes to the earth, and He doesn't hang out just in the synagogues. Yes, He goes to the synagogue. Yes, He goes to church. He doesn't just go to the temple. Yes, He goes to the temple occasionally. But then He goes out to where people live, to where people work, to where people play. He goes to uh, a wedding in Cana, and He dances at the wedding. He would have danced along with everybody else. He drank wine. In fact, when they ran out of wine, 
he turned water into wine because they would not have been able to have as much fun. I'm not kidding. They've run out of wine. How can you have a party without wine? Do you see the glory of this man coming into our world, getting dirt under his fingernails, engaging with the world, even at his own expense, even though he was criticized, even though he took risks. And he started talking, the second principle. You've got to go out into the world. You can't remain in your cloister. Secondly, you've got to talk. You have to actually begin a dialogue. I'm not that good at that, folks. I, I, when I go to Starbucks or Kinley House and I go do my study and I've got my stuff all set out, I try to find a, a table in a corner and I don't look around because I don't want to be bothered. And I had friends in school. I, I don't know. We, do you all remember Borders, the uh, bookstore Borders? There was a Borders by the seminary and we'd go there and get coffee and we'd study. And I would go get in my corner and put my back to the room because I didn't want to be bothered. And I had a friend... Uh, this guy was a former Navy SEAL. And he was a type A, you know, he was like gung-ho and all that. And he would come in and he would turn and get the chair facing the room and he would just start to scan the room and look for potential victims. (laughs) And when he would see somebody that had, I don't know, he had some spiritual sight in his eyes and he'd see a target on their head, he'd go, there, I'm going to that one. And he'd go get all over them. And the next minute I'm looking over there and they're praying and they're crying and they're you know, whooping it up with Jesus. And I'm sitting there with my back to the room. There are people like that. But he would start talking. He was proactive in conversation. And some of you folks are going to have to stretch a little bit. Um, Dr., uh, um, Dr. Frank Barker, who came in 2010 and, and did a little conference for us uh, at, at Christ the King, was the, pa- it was the pastor of Briarwood and was the one who mentored Randy Pope who d- developed the, d- the Journey Discipleship material. Some of the Journey folks, you'll remember Randy talking about this. Randy Pope is like me. He's very introverted, doesn't want to talk to anybody, but he's a fantastic evangelist. He's made more converts to Jesus. can't even count them. It's amazing. Just one-on-one. But it's not his natural bent. But he was trained by Dr. Barker who is, was that way. And Dr. Bar- and Randy would tell the story, Dr. Barker was famous for being able to cold call and make a conversation. So somebody would come into a you know, room like this and they would say uh, to Dr. Barker, would be sitting in a chair and they'd walk up and say, is this seat saved? And Dr. Barker would say, I don't know about the chair, but how about you, brother? <laughs> you know, and right away he'd go, start launching into the gospel. He just had no fear of sharing his faith. So there's... There's everything in between. There's that, you know, brother, are you saved? All the way down to just entering in gently into a conversation. Tell me about yourself. Uh, Where were you born? Uh, How did you meet your spouse? Uh, Where do you work? Uh, Where do you go to school? Just entering into a conversation gently and making your way. But you have to be willing to talk. Thirdly, Jesus uses a physical need, His humanity, uh, to touch her spiritual need. We can never forget, folks, the reality that Jesus Christ was a human being. We tend to see Jesus, I think most of us, as hard as we try, we, don't, we know that it's not right, but we, we can't help our... We see Him as Superman. Like underneath those garments is a superhuman. 
somebody that is beyond the pale, who could leap tall buildings in a single bound, who had x-ray vision and could see through the walls and, and had all this. He, yes, he had extraordinary gifts and talents, but he was entirely a human being, fully human. Read uh, sometime the Chalcedonian formula for his humanity. Jesus was a man like us with all the same weaknesses that we have, yet without sin, the Bible tells us, without sin. And he uses that uh, to reach into this woman's life. He doesn't come across as the great spiritual giant until he starts building the relationship and he gets into her life. And then she feels the power, the draw of the gospel on her life. And that same thing is available to you and I. If we will just go below the surface and share the gospel, watch the Holy Spirit draw people. Fourthly, He moves from the physical to the spiritual. Now this, this is where I think it can become difficult. How do you get from just having a normal conversation at Starbucks or Kinley House or wherever you happen to go get your coffee or wherever you are, where you live, work, and play, how do you make the transition from just the normal talking, you know, where did you meet your spouse, where do you go to school, all that, to start talking about spiritual? This can be uh, difficult. So here, here's some example, very quickly. Well, tell me about yourself. Well, you know, I was born here in El Paso. Really? You're born here in El Paso? We're part of town. Where'd you go to high school? Well, I went to uh, Coronado High School. Oh, I see. You're one of those rich people from the west side. And nowadays, we can say, no, actually, no. The Franklin High School, those are the rich people. <laughs> see, when I went to Coronado High School, and, uh, you know, that's where all the rich people went. So right away you'd be talking, so where'd you go to high school? I went there. Oh, you're rich. Now we have another high school that's really rich. And Coronado's kind of poor. Kind of. Where'd you go to school? Well, you know, are you married? You, know, you can go, go down all of these lines. Uh, tell me about your, your religious background. Where, where's your, now people, at this point, their spiritual, their red flags will start to go up. But you could ask them, you know, where'd you, where'd you go to church? I was raised in the Catholic Church. Really? Did you know that Catholicism is a cult? That's what a lot of Protestants do immediately. Have you heard of John MacArthur? We need to talk about John MacArthur. No, don't ask them about their faith. What, tell me about it. You know, I was... I was raised in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Wow, we have a lot in common. See, you can start to talk. Find out about their religious upbringing. Ask them about their faith. Well, tell, how, do you still go to church? No, I, I don't go anymore. How come? Why not? Well, you know, the church left me this and that and the other. And you can slowly start to make your transition into spiritual things. Or how about this one? For a lot of, a lot of us, this is a real good question. You're... Uh, out and about and you're talking to somebody that you've met and you kind of know them a little bit and you, and you tell them this. You know what? I've been thinking about my funeral. And I've been thinking about making funeral arrangements. What do you think about that? And they start talking about funeral arrangements. And from there, it's a very easy step over into uh, uh, talking about religious or spiritual things. Or you could say this. 
my pastor, my pastor recently said this. I thought he was a little bit crazy. But he said this. And then, you know, quote me. Like I'm an authority, right? <laughs> but you know, my pastor said this. What do you think of that? My pastor said Jesus is the only way to salvation. The only way that you could possibly get into heaven is believing in Jesus. And I don't know, that hit me kind of wrong. That hit me kind of weird. How could Jesus be so exclusive? Doesn't that sound intolerant to you? Would you be willing to do that? Because actually it is intolerant. You know that, don't you? Okay. See how you can... There are ways, and perhaps we'll have a whole class on that. But an honest... Sincere dialogue, folks, invites relationships. And as Ravi Zacharias, great apologist, many of you know him, Ravi says, questions open presuppositions. So when you ask a question, ask lots of questions. Don't immediately go to answers as much as we want to. Go to uh, the questions. And then finally, he crosses the threshold. He goes to the root, the idol of her heart, which was this business with all these husbands and men and all this stuff. Everyone, folks, has some scars. But you're going to have to get into their life enough so they trust you. Will they trust you? If they see you as simply someone who's making them a project and you're just going to move on after they reject Christ and they're, oh, I'm not interested in all that religious stuff. And you say, okay, fine. And you just end it and go look for the next victim. Well, you've lost the game. We have to be willing to go and live with these people. You know, the early missionaries actually left their homes, moved to another country, and went and lived there the rest of their lives. There was no moving around, no going home on furlough. They didn't have any way to do that. And so when St. Patrick went to Ireland, he stayed in Ireland. And he made relationships, they married, they settled down, they, they built communities, and they evangelized by their relationships. And finally, very quickly, evangelism is going to require a revelation. The whole reason, the whole purpose of taking the risk and building the relationship is so that you can share Jesus Christ with them. Share the One who has changed your life, presumably, with them. And Jesus stresses to this woman, it's not a place. It's a person. It's not a place. It's a person. It goes directly to our, our greatest need, folks. A place is only going to last so long. How long is Jesus Christ going to last? Our lives are only going to last so long. How long is His life going to last? See, we can tell people, we have a God who came into time and space, the only God, the only religion ever in the history of mankind where God came down to say this, me for you. I will go to the cross. I will die for you. I will make it possible for you to come in to the kingdom of God. I will do for you. And all I ask from you is, will you trust me? Will you believe of me? Will you trust me?
And that's the question of the Gospel. Will you trust Jesus, the One who came into time and space, who met this woman at the well, who gave Himself to her in relationship and asked her, will you trust Me? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I hope, uh, I hope we can do that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your kindness and Your mercy. Every one of us is here today because You met us at our our well, our place uh, of thirst. And we needed You, and we need You still. And we ask, Father, that You would empower each of us in such a way uh, that we can be in a, a positive effect on others around us and help quench their thirst. And so extend Your kingdom to the least of the last and the lost. And we number ourselves among that trio of least and last and lost. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.